Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, our guest is Vidya Dinamani, and she is the founder of Product Rebels, a consulting firm. Now, let me tell you what she does and what she has done and why you should hire her. Because she was the VP of Innovation and Design and also of Product Management and Marketing at Mitchell International. Before that, she was the director of product and customer experience development and uh, business operations for over 10 years at Intuit. Vidya was also a management consultant for Deloitte and a systems programmer before that. She has a wealth of experience in product management and in all sorts of design and is now using that experience to teach others. So let's all welcome Vidya. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Jenny. What a nice intro. <laughs> I'm so glad you could be here today because I think you have a really interesting perspective and very well articulated for our nerd community. Now, first of all, I want to make sure that everyone knows that you're a nerd because you're protesting. And I was like, oh, how do you talk to nerds? She goes, well, I am one. I'm like, okay, tell us, tell us what your nerdism means to you. Well, I started off coding. You know, yeah. I have a physics degree, so yeah. I'm like fully qualified nerd here. <laughs> Went for I did systems programming and, and file systems architecture at the Supercomputing Center. So I, I feel like I've got some qualifications, right? I would agree. Thank I would you. agree. Yes. When I saw your physics degree, I was like, whoa, I have to step up my level here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time ago, but I just like to say I'm, I'm part of the gang here. Okay, good. Okay. So what what kind of nerds do you work with? What you know, I mean, we've talked about Intuit, Mitchell, various types of environments. Who are your general types of uh, people that you're working with? Yeah, I have been really lucky to work with some really awesome nerds, like some really smart people. So Intuit, um, I spent ten years there, as you said, and it attracts a really great group of people. Mm-hmm. So engineers, designers, researchers, product people, marketing. You know, there isn't really a dud amongst them. Um, And then at Mitchell with innovation and design, um, working with product teams. And then I've worked and coached hundreds of product managers. And we always extend to working with engineers as well because it's, it's, you can't have one without the other. It's symbiotic, right? And so that team is extended to some really amazing developers as well. Okay. So I've heard you talk about this this relationship is a marriage. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's really funny and I know it's kind of controversial and, but think about it as a product manager and as a developer, you spend more time together than you probably do with your spouse, mm. right? I mean, you think about it, it's 10, 12 days, not to mention like launches and those late nights, you're on the phone. If you've got developers out of the country, it's all hours, it's 24 by seven. You spend a lot of time with this person. You have a relationship with them. You sense their moods. I mean, this is this is the marriage, whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay. And so like with a good marriage, what are some of the characteristics of that relationship that would be very important? 
Yeah, you know, I'm not going to go to that sort of trite place where it's about sort of like, you know, oh, it's a good relationship when they listen. And I mean, like, you know all that stuff yeah. about good relationships, right? When I think about a great relationship and a great marriage, it's about when, you know, someone's on your side, right? You've really got someone's back. And to me, that means something because so much of the time, you know, people bring us in when there's controversy, when the product management team, when the development team, which we're just not getting things out, you know, and it seems like, you know, it's always they, they want this and they're telling us these impossible requirements. They're changing their mind all the time. They're telling us that what we did wasn't good enough. And on the product side is, you know, we're always being surprised by new, you know, this is going to take 10 times longer. All those things, it feels like it's so controversial versus we're in this together. I see. Yeah. So you know, I actually, I'm married to a lawyer, so I always have to remind him we're on the same team here. We're, I'm not opposing counsel. And it sounds a little bit like what you're talking about there. And, you know, this is when you're talking about being on your side, that's trusting them, right? That they're there for you and that you're in this together. Um, and that seems like a bigger vision as well in, in terms of uh, this umbrella of we're all trying going for the same goal here. It's not that we're uh, combating against each other to get things yeah, done. Yeah, and I know that, you know, that's again, it can feel like sort of high-level business speak. You know, we're on the same team, we're all on the same side. But I think it means something different okay. when you're trying to get a product out, right? Because fundamentally, a developer is trying to get the, the fastest, most elegant way of solving a problem. And I think things break down when they get told what to do. And a lot of product managers, when that trust breaks down, feel like the only way that you're going to get things done is when you tell someone exactly what to do. So when that trust that you talked about, the way it manifests itself is just this increasing gap and it just gets worse and worse because the worse the behavior because you don't really understand. And a product manager telling a developer what to do is like the kiss of death because they're not <laughs> going to kind of, you know, get their creativity. They're not going to get the right solution because they don't know what they're solving for. And then the worse the solution gets, the more the PM jumps in and goes, well, clearly I have no clue. Now I've got to get even more specific. So those are the kinds of things that, that make things really bad. Yeah, it's almost like telling your kids what to do and, and not letting them figure it out. And they just rebel more and more. Exactly. Yeah, no, that happens with, with a lot of people, especially people who are smart, creative people who feel like they have a good solution too. Yeah. A lot of the time we talk about um, PMs and this is when we coach, it's really sticking to the what and the why. And I think, you know, we talked about this before, Joni, but it's this real clarification on your role, which is if you don't have a really strong sense of what you're doing and why, and you can't articulate that, you really can't expect anyone to come up with a solution. And sometimes there is a lack of discipline and some laziness. It's easier actually to write a bunch of requirements telling someone how to do something versus really digging into what and how. Yeah. So taking a little time up front to explore that and... Uh, work on that together as opposed to just slapping in a list of requirements. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, what kind of challenges tend to arise uh, in this relationship? Like, you know, from the product management perspective, do you have some things that tend to come up typically? From a product management perspective, um, you know, 
it's really interesting because when I talked about being on the same side and we're trying to achieve something for the customer, a product manager is, is really deep. And, you know, we talk a lot about you're the voice of customer. You're really the representative of the customer at the table. Okay. And people who are really good product managers take that really seriously. They fight for what their customer needs. They really push to, to make those solutions work for their customer. And sometimes, you know, and you asked about like when those things break down, it, they don't really kind of go into why, but they, they have that understanding. There are ways that you can solve custom problems in different ways. But when you get deep into your customer shoes and you can see sort of elegant solutions, you can jump into a little bit of the how. When that happens, what we've seen is there's a lot of technical debt um, because you get solutions that are kind of more piecemeal and sort of jumping at different um, sort of features of the customer problem versus actually diving in and solving what that customer need is. So I know I sort of said quite a bit there, so I'm sure you've got questions, um, but, but that's kind of where it starts. It starts with this understanding of customer need and articulating it properly. Right. So it sounds like a lot of communication there. I mean, both from the customer to you and you to the engineers mm -hmm. and getting sort of that feedback loop uh, that uh, everyone really understands what the need is, not just throwing out what they think a good solution would be. Yeah. I mean, we were, we're all problem solvers. Like, let's go yeah. that, that nerd kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. We like, we, this is why we do what we do, especially in software. We like solving problems um, and we're good at it. And it's really easy to go after, let's go solve this problem and throw solutions at it. That often kind of gets you into trouble because you need to step back and truly understand what that problem is. So a lot of the time when we coach, we start with, can you just articulate what the problem is, not the lack of a solution? A lot of the time you'll hear, oh, if only they had my product or if they only had my feature, everything would be great. Not true. You've got to think about a problem in a way that says this problem exists whether you existed or not and whether your product and your beautiful solution has existed. The customer still has the problem. So that's really basics, but it starts there and you'll be surprised by how many people can't actually tell you what the problem is. And, and for those who, who are listening to this, just write it down. Do you really know what your customer problem is? Not the solution, not the feature, but the actual problem. And that's hard. That's really hard to do, surprisingly. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and maybe some of that comes from the customer too, as they're not articulating mm -hmm. it. So how do you help them, you know, be able to make sure you understand what their problem is? So we, we have this way to think about it in three ways. A lot of the time, asking a customer is, is not going to get you that response. Mm -hmm. and, and we know this, right? It's, you know, people will tell you what they want, not really what they need. So the way that we talk about doing it is you've got to watch. You've got to watch your customer in their natural habitat. Mm -hmm. And that takes time and, and energy and, and patience. And then you turn those observations into uh, ways that you can articulate the kinds of steps you can do this through journey maps. You can do this through um, stepping through what your observations were. But you end up trying to translate what you've seen into sort of fully formed sentences for a start. Then it's the insight. And this is sort of the magic of product management. 
It's taking that information, it's taking those observations, and it's turning it into this is what it means. Not what they said, but what they're trying to do. And so when you do watch, and you listen, and you ask the right open-ended questions, you get ahas. And what you do then, is then you create hypotheses. Because you believe that this will be true. And so a lot of the work, a really kind of good product managers, spend a lot of time testing those hypotheses. And then when you come to your engineer, your developer, you have proof points. You've said, I know that this problem exists. This is what's happening. This is why it's happening. Now, how do we think about, like, how do we solve this problem? That's your job. Now, I love helping people into both worlds. So I love having engineers come and watch customers with me. Um, it's fantastic. And often a developer has never been or seen a customer before. And so it really makes it real. And then from the solution point of view, I love being invited in. I talk about sharing the pen. It's yeah. now, now let's hand it over. You've thought about a solution. Like I really understand this customer. And so maybe I can see a perspective or a shortcut that this elegant engineering solution might be missing. So it's taking the lead. I had the lead as a product person in the beginning, and then I'm handing it over, but we're in this together. Right, so it sounds to me like one of the things that could come up there is people feeling like you're treading on their turf kind of thing. And, uh, you know, how do you have handle that? You know, I mean, when you all in there, like every, it sounds great to everyone be open, right? I mean, that would be ideal, but people don't always feel that way. What kind of things do you do or say to help people understand, I guess we're talking back to the trust thing that we're in this, yeah. I'm not trying to take over your job or think right. you're doing, but how do you sort of uh, break down those barriers? Well, this is, um, this is probably sounding a little bit too hard ass and, well, oh. I'm going to say that. You're going to bleep me out. Oh, um, <laughs> but I really like DCs, you know, decision matrices, because at the end of the day, someone's got to make a call. I, I invite you into my world but I approve it. I'm the decision maker. You're, I'm asking you to contribute. This isn't consensus. This isn't sort of like kumbaya and we're all going to decide together. It's like, no, we're moving pretty quickly. So when it's my world, I make the decision. When it's yours and the solution, I want to contribute. But at the end of the day, the engineer is making the call and I have to respect that. So trust is great working together, all those kind of good things, but someone's got to make a call and you've got to be okay with us being wrong, either place. And so how do you get to that place where you're learning quickly, you're not building months and months of code. So making a mistake is okay, so we lost two weeks, big deal, let's keep moving. We learned something really valuable. So by creating a really strict way of saying, knowing who's making this decision, being really clear with it, being clear on the timeline, and then being okay with learning because it's not okay to make a mistake and then just go, okay, we're going to throw another dart against the wall. It's turning it into a learning culture, which says, okay, we had a really strong hypothesis that was going to be effective. It wasn't. That's actually a great learning. This is what we're going to do next. So that type of relationship with clear decision-making and moving quickly and having a learning mindset I think is what allows you to forget about some of that territory because otherwise it can, you can feel like you're conceding space. You can feel like, wait, that's my job. 
it's like, yes, it is. So let's just be clear about who's making the call. Yeah. So you said something really key here is this learning culture. I see this in a lot of different types of organizations, the ones that actually feel like they can make mistakes and learn from them. Uh, WD-40, for example, they call it the learning moment, right? And um, instead of a mistake and Toyota has other ways of dealing with it uh, uh, using different types of terminology. But um, here, you know, you must have seen some companies that are better at that than others, sort of depending on the culture. And how do you set that up to make sure that people are feeling comfortable that they can have these kind of moments that, that where they're learning? Yeah, I think this is one of those things that starts at the top. You've really got to get your senior leadership actually walking the talk for this one. You've got to be able to say, if you are a learning culture, there, there isn't recrimination, there's no punishment. I remember backing into it, and this is going back, gosh, it's got to be about seven, eight years ago. And we went so far to try and turn ourselves into a learning culture that we celebrated failure. We literally right. celebrated yeah. failure. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't, I'm, I'm not that comfortable with celebrating failure just from personally. <laughs> I like to celebrate learning. I like to celebrate what are we going to do next because I like moving on. I want to know what the next step is. I'm not so kind of like excited about going, look, Yahoo, you know, we failed. Yeah. But if you can say, this is what we're going to do as a result of the fact that we learned something that was a surprise. I think great product moments and great product features come out of surprise. They come out of something that you didn't expect. And so you've got to be bold in order to try things that you can be surprised with. If you always play it safe, and you have this culture that's playing it safe, it's going to be incremental. You might be growing nice and slowly, and um, but you're not going to make those leaps, and it's not going to be an exciting place to work. Yeah, no, that sounds like a stifle creativity and uh, risk and innovation. Absolutely. Well, another thing you talked about was this decision-making, so I'm kind of getting this idea of uh, having sort of clear roles defined on your teams or roles of responsibility and who gets to decide yeah. what. Like, you know, when it's just completely open, it's hard to have that happen. But if you decide, okay, on this uh, particular uh, decision, it's going to be you who's making the call, and this one it's me, and uh, and or it's engineering versus product management, and and people are clear on that, then it it simplifies things, but you also have to respect it once it's done. Yeah. Now that's. Well, I love the fact that you brought up roles and responsibilities because often when we go into organizations, it's, and no one does this on purpose, right? This isn't something that is deliberate. It just grows. You get someone who's really good at something and they start doing pieces of the work and then someone else comes in and, and before you know it, it's, it's sort of mushed up. And then when a new member arrives, it's really unclear as to who does what. Mm-hmm. And so often when we go in, it starts with roles and responsibilities. And so what does a product owner do? What does a product manager do? What is the developer, the scrum master? Agile's done some really kind of great things for us, but I think it's also messed us up in a lot of ways. Um, okay. We're following ceremonies and we're, you know, doing things, you know, very specifically and so having this role of knowing that you have to bring learning in, you have to do these things outside of this kind of very specific defined um, approach to development. All of that 
pulling that apart again, specifying roles and responsibilities, and then saying if someone's really good, if they're, you know, a developer, but they're really good at customer research, you know, then they're taking on that hat. They're not adding that to their actual job responsibility. So clarification of that, if ever it feels like you know, things are kind of messed up or you're not going as fast as you'd like, start with that. It's actually really, really helpful. Okay. So that's also when you're bringing new people in and all that too, how that can disrupt things. But that also can create opportunities to really clarify even more. Exactly. Wow. So, okay. So one of the things that I always wonder is when you have to go back with the bad news. Now you said embracing surprises and everything like that, but you're in there going, wow, this thing that we thought was going to be just great for the customer, the customer thought it was just, you know, didn't, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think of nice ways of saying this, but you know, how do you go back and break that news and, and keep people still motivated? I mean, this is like a real people issue here. What, what comes up for you? So, um, I think just being really honest with what you learned and why it's really, it's hard as a PM to come back and go, we just spent three months working on this <laughs> and I just asked you to work nights and weekends. Um, and it didn't have the results that we wanted. And I think it's like ripping off a bandaid. You've got to get in there and you've got to say, we had all these proof points, but, but why? I mean, I think that's the key. And I'm, and I'm putting my nerd heart on here and in my development. But if I know why, I'm like, okay, we know what we need to do next. It's when you don't have that information and you worked really hard and now there's a new feature or it's like, oh, we're going to dump all that work and we're going to move on to this other thing. And you're like, really? I mean, nothing sort of kills, you know, just momentum and, and just excitement more than that's done, we're moving on. It's like, no, 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 no. And it's not a post-mortem. It really is a deep learning. And I think when leaders, and I know I've been in organizations where leaders have really done a great job of explaining what we thought to be true and what we learned, and here's how we're going to move about it next, then you're like, okay, I trust you. I believe you. Let's keep going. Because there's steps and there's a connection point. So I think it's it's hard, but you have to be honest and you've got to be willing to go dig into places that are really sort of uncomfortable to go dig in and, and learn about why you, you didn't succeed and not feel like you're justifying it or defending, but really saying this is this is a way that we can, we have to move on from this. How do we do that effectively? Wow. I love the last bit there about the defensiveness. I mean, that's huge. It's so natural, but we said, Oh, but, but and you're like, no, no, but let's just explore yeah. and accept it. Uh, and then figure out how to move on. And yeah. that can be really hard. I mean, that's what I work with engineers on all the time is this, uh, when you have these disappointing situations and how to recover from that, from these setbacks. Uh, and it sounds like you've got some language there. So I have one more area I wanted to explore with you because you you were uh, a programmer. You started out as such, and then you moved more into this product management. How did you make that transition, and what led you to do that? I um, I really wanted to be able to get closer to the customer. Oh, okay. And so when I was getting requirements and this is kind of like, you know, totally dating me now, but it was in the bad old world, a waterfall and you get requirements mm -hmm. and 
it was all sort of buttoned up. And I would find myself asking why questions and trying to sort of understand more. But you're on a deadline and you're moving fast and so you just end up doing the work. And so I wanted to get closer to understanding who. I love really kind of, I love that insight piece we talked about before when you get those aha moments. And then you can say, there's something that I can do to really transform that person's life. I can make it easier. I can eliminate hours. There are things that you can do to actually make an impact on people's worlds. And so I wanted to get closer to that end. And I think it helped me being, you know, having that development background mm -hmm. because, you know, it's kind of hard to be as someone when you're kind of like, wait a minute, you know, I kind of know, <laughs> like, you know, that, that doesn't sound quite right. So straddling those worlds and being able to translate, I think was a huge benefit. And actually it's easier for someone coming in from being technical to the business world than the other way around because you've got such a, a long road. If you are in business and you want to get technical, you know, you've got a lot of work to do. But if you're technical and you have this inkling, you really like the customer problem, I think it's such a great place to go into product management and you become such a strong product manager because you get it, you can translate, you've been in both those worlds. It's, and it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I, um, it seems like in some ways it might be hard to go that direction, but you have some natural facilities there because you really able to talk to the customers and you have that motivation as well. Um, do you miss the design part or are you glad to hand that off? Well, I like the, the, the design piece of it is we introduced and um, I'll just, I'll spend just a little time on this and, and it's back to my soapbox. I'm agile. So forgive yeah. me, but you know, we went from writing these really horrible long requirements documents to having like almost nothing, right? So you've got some epics and you've got user stories, but there's a gap in between. So we actually create a design spec. So we teach and coach how to put your vision and put a roadmap in a way that's really lightweight, but it gives a direction and a design. And that could be through um, having testers and prototypes. It can be flows. But I feel like that's design. I'm not getting into architectural design but I'm designing how we can solve a problem together. So I still like to, to exercise that. And then I do a ton of stuff around design thinking and prototyping that, that allows me to, again, exercise some of those, you know, those, those urges to kind of like, you know, touch something more, more technical. Right. No, that makes sense. And uh, it's the bigger picture of designing a solution as opposed to doing the actual code, for example. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Well, this has been, I think, really beneficial to our listeners because you've given us the perspective of how to communicate with a customer as well as how to communicate with product marketing. And, and um, it sounds like a lot of it is having the trust, having uh, an environment where learning is important and also open-mindedness yep. to really understand everyone involved, but most importantly, what the customer product, you know, the problems and, you know, what it, what it needs to be, what they're, what they're struggling with, um, rather than just jumping into delivering a solution that you come up with that seems really, uh, you know, innovative and fun. Mm -hmm. So um, any last words for our nerds before we sign off? Um. I would say just ask, ask why next time in a meeting, 
you know, just, just play with that. Um, it's a really sort of simple, non-threatening, you know, and especially if you say, it's not like, you know, why is that? But, you know, hey, tell me more. It's like, what was the customer doing? Or why are, why are we thinking that this is the right approach? Um, you, it'll be really interesting to learn what your PM says. So that's what I would encourage is, and then if you've got a great PM, it gets super excited by the fact that you just asked why. <laughs> go, go hang out. Go, next time they go visit a customer, go hang out with them. Just go yeah. watch. You know, yeah. I think that it's, it's a really, you, you'll see what you're building, what you're doing for. Wow, two words, just ask. That's great. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it comes down to that, you know, ask and then listen, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Vidya. This has been really interesting, and I think our, our nerds are going to get a lot out of it. So I want to thank you for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. Such a pleasure. It's always fun talking to you, Joni. Thank you. Oh, thanks. And uh, thanks to the listeners. And if you enjoy, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's, we're at uh, reinventingnerds.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.